0: What a beautiful choir and what a beautiful way to worship. If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the New Testament book of 1 Timothy, and we'll be in chapter 2. We have some new Bibles in the pew racks in front of you, you might notice, and so if you don't have your Bible today, you can use one of those and turn to page 1051, and it'll get you to the same spot. Uh, They say that one of the greatest enemies to ocean-going vessels... Uh, are barnacles. uh, The accumulation of barnacles. That over time, uh, these barnacles will attach themselves to the hull of the ship. And in the beginning, it will present no real problem. The barnacles are very small, and they're small in number. Uh, But over uh, the years, these barnacles continue to accumulate. And if nothing is done about them, eventually they'll cause great problems. They will make the ship difficult to steer. Uh, They will make the ship move more slowly through the water. It will cost more uh, to propel the ship. In fact, I read this week uh, that the US Navy spends over $500 million a year on fuel that it would not need to buy if if there were not so many barnacles on the hulls of our u s Navy ships, and if the barnacles continue to accumulate, eventually the very structure of the ship uh, will be threatened. Now, one of the greatest dangers to Christianity is that the same thing would happen that over the years, the Christian message, the christian faith might might have Things attached to it, rituals and and beliefs and and ceremonies that that were never really a part of uh, Christianity in the beginning, that are not a part of biblical Christianity, but but over time, almost imperceptibly, these these rituals and ceremonies and beliefs attach themselves to the faith until eventually the faith becomes unrecognizable. Until eventually the faith becomes uh, destroyed or or, or the. Fa- Faith is in jeopardy because of all these things that have attached themselves through the years. Well, 500 years ago in history, that's exactly what had happened. The Christian faith had accumulated so many barnacles, so many extra things, uh, that the very um, validity of the faith was in jeopardy. Now, if you've been here in recent weeks, you know that we're going through a a short series of messages where we're looking back 500 years to a very important event called the Reformation. Uh, This is the 500 year anniversary of the Reformation, and we're seeing about some of the struggles that the church faced then. And how they reestablished the foundations of the faith. And so we're learning something about history for the three or four history buffs who are in the room. But then we're going into the Word of God and we're seeing how we today can reestablish the foundations of our faith from God's Word. And today I want to talk about how the Christian faith can very easily accumulate all of these barnacles and lose its substance. 500 years ago, listen, the Christian faith in name was about Jesus, but in practice it was not. The role of Christ had been greatly diminished in the Christian faith and it was getting worse every year. That is hard to imagine how could the christian faith had become focused on something other than christ well let me talk a little history and let me share with you two examples of how the christian faith had um had, had had accumulated these barnacles how it was no longer a a faith focused first on, on Christ. Uh, one example would be that of sacraments. Do you know what a sacrament is? And, and you hear people talk about sacraments today in a little different way, but but you hear people talk about sacraments. Uh, the church dispensed salvation through the sacraments. In those days, they believed that if you wanted to have a right relationship with God, you had to go to the church and through these sacraments, through these ceremonies that you would receive the grace of salvation, that you would be forgiven, that you would be made right with God. The sacraments were key. There were seven sacraments and they all functioned a little differently. Let's see if I can name them. There was the sacrament of baptism, uh, Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. There was the sacrifice, um, I'm sorry, the sacrament of, of uh, confirmation, of holy orders, which was ordination, uh, marriage. There was uh, last rites or extreme unction. There were these seven sacraments and that's how you came to have a right relationship with God. In fact, the church clearly taught that you could not have a right relationship with God. You could not be saved in any other way. The sacraments were the key. And this is how they had gotten one step removed from a focus on Jesus. In fact, uh, they had a meeting because they wanted there to be no confusion about this. They had a meeting called the Council of Trent in the 16th century, and they made some assertions And they said, we want to put it in plain language so that people will know how a person is to be saved. And and there were a number of these assertions. They called them canons. And I'll read just a couple of them to you. Canon number four. They said, if anyone says the sacraments are not necessary unto salvation and that men obtain of God through faith alone the grace of justification, let him be anathema, which is a word that means cursed or damned. He says, if somebody would say that you could have a relationship with God by any means other than the sacraments, let that person be cursed. Canon number seven said essentially the same thing. If anyone says grace is not given through the sacraments, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. Uh, they had a, a primary theologian in those days that they would go to for answers to questions and controversies. His name was Thomas Aquinas. He actually uh, was a 13th century theologian. He had been dead a few years, but he had left his writings and they were uh, important to the church in those days. And here's what he said, human cooperation with Christ is necessary. He said, you know, Christ does a part of salvation, but you do a part of salvation as well. He said, participation in sacraments, unite people to the atonement of Christ and become a necessary part of it. They made salvation about the sacraments more than Jesus. Now, the sacraments pointed to Jesus, but they became a way for the church really to put one more step between themselves and Jesus. And so Christianity was a little bit at a time becoming a Christ-less religion. Now, let me give you another way that that happened, just just as an illustration. Uh, They also prayed to saints, now, if you were here last week, you know we talked about Martin Luther and we talked about how he had his first real encounter with God. He was a college student, he was uh, traveling, and he encountered a thunderstorm, a terrible thunderstorm. He thought he was going to die. And so he prayed to God that God would save him. But I pointed out last week, I didn't really draw any attention to it, so you may not have caught it, but I pointed out that when he prayed, he didn't actually pray to God. Who did he pray to? Do you remember? He prayed to St. Anne. When he was in this terrible thunderstorm, he said, St. Anne, save me. Now, why did he pray to St. Anne? Well, it would never have occurred to Martin Luther, in those days anyway, to have prayed to to Jesus or God that he, he had never been encouraged to pray to Jesus or God. He, he had never, he had never seen perhaps or heard of people praying to Jesus or God. It, it, it was just not a part of what they did. They, they prayed to people other than that, other than Jesus. Now the way this has happened it, over a period of, of several hundred years, people who prayed to God through Jesus began to pray to Mary. Now I want to be careful here that we don't uh, accuse people of believing something that they do not and, and, and I don't want to just uh, throw fireballs here They that they, they didn't believe that Mary was God Mary the mother of Jesus. They didn't believe that she was divine uh, If you if you were to ask a, a Catholic theologian uh, of the day, do you pray to Mary? They would have said no not in the sense that we're asking Mary to come down and be a God here and do something but we go to Mary so that Mary then can take our request to Jesus so Jesus can take our request to God does that make sense so we're gonna to talk to Mary because you know Mary's Jesus' mom and you'll do anything for your mom right I mean if my mom calls and asks me to do something the answer is yes and so we'll go to Mary we'll ask Mary to go to Jesus we'll ask Jesus to go to God we will get our way and so that was sort of the sort of the philosophy of this now there was a thin line between what the theologians taught and what the people did. And a little bit at a time, people began to worship Mary. Uh, and, and, and then, just to make matters worse, just, to, just to, be, to take one more step away from Christ, they began to feel like they couldn't even approach Mary. They had to approach somebody else, some other saint and then that saint, and I'm simplifying things, that saint would then go to Mary, and Mary would go to Jesus, Jesus would go to God. So why did Martin Luther pray to Saint Anne? Well, Saint Anne was Mary's mother. See, you, you, you follow the logic here? So I'll pray to Mary's mother. Mary's mother, Anne, can talk to Mary. Mary can talk to Jesus. Jesus can talk to God. We'll get something done around here. And, 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 and Jesus was becoming less and less the focus of, uh, of, of the faith. Uh, over time, uh, people began to pray to so many patron saints, it was hard to keep up with them. There was a patron, patron saint of safe travels, and so if you were traveling, there was a saint you could pray to that was interested, some deceased uh, Christian from years gone by who was interested in safe travels. You could pray to the saint of safe travels. Uh, there were patron saints for shoemakers, for women, for soldiers, for hunters, and even for dogs, okay? Now, this wasn't for your dog to pray, but if you wanted to pray for your dog, there was some saint that was said to have, to have a particular affinity for dogs until so you could pray, and you know, then that person would go to God on your behalf through a whole bunch of other people, and it was becoming a Christless religion. Um, I had an opportunity with my wife to go to Italy a few years ago, and one of the places we visited was the city of Naples. And while we were in Naples, uh, we visited uh, the main cathedral. There's a gigantic cathedral in Naples. I think we can show this to you on the screen. It's a it's a beautiful cathedral, uh, the Cathedral of the Assumption of Mary. Uh, now it has an Italian name, but I would butcher it too badly to give it a shot. Uh, but in English, it's the Cathedral of the Assumption of Mary. Uh, show us the next slide. I want people to see what it's like on the inside. Now you're a long ways from that and you can't see it all, but I'll, I'll tell you two things about it. First of all, it is beautiful. It is absolutely stunning. Several, several hundred years old. I don't recall. um, and it is beautiful, but it doesn't take you very long to figure out that this was not a cathedral built to honor Jesus. This was a cathedral built to honor Mary. There are all kinds of statues of Mary. There's uh, uh, depicting her her life, depicting her Assumption into heaven. They believe that Mary just uh, went off into heaven uh, after uh, Jesus did, and, and and so the whole temple, the whole cathedral rather, is is built with this one focus, Mary. And if there's a secondary focus in the in the cathedral, it is uh, the patron saint. The patron saint of the Cathedral of the Assumption of Mary is St. Januarius, and I'm sure I'm butchering that name as well. I apologize if you're an Italian speaker, Uh, but St. Januarius, uh, the Bishop of uh, Benevento uh, in the uh, third and fourth century, and so he was the patron saint. Now, what they do twice a year... Uh, on uh, the second Saturday in May and also on September 19th, so just a couple of weeks ago, is they bring out a vial of St. Januarius' blood from the third century, okay? And they hold it up and they wait to see if it will liquefy. And if it liquefies, that means that Naples will be spared destruction for another year. If it fails to liquefy, that means you need to move, okay? You need to get out of town. Now, uh, the the guide who was giving us our tour, he told us that Jesus uh, was prayed to in this cathedral, but that Jesus was, and I want to use his language, the sixth, sixth most prayed to saint in the church. You see, over the years, in many traditions, there have been so many barnacles on the faith that we have lost Christ as the focal point. Now, this isn't, um, this isn't about picking on uh, the Catholics. This isn't an anti-Catholic thing. I'm talking to you, and I'm talking to where, about where we need to be. And, and you, you could go back into almost any faith tradition, and you could find, if you go far enough back in history, you can find people who did some pretty uh ridiculous things right and and southern baptists are no exception in fact uh, today we're going to be talking about jesus being the focus of things and we, we see how jesus that focus had been lost 500 years ago but in in many southern baptist churches you can go back just 50 years and you can find the same thing in many southern baptist churches not all but in many southern baptist churches 50 years ago the focus was more on a moral code than it was on jesus I mean, whether or not women wore blue jeans and and how men cut their hair was at least as important as Jesus in many churches 50 years ago, right? Some of you were in churches 50 years ago. Do you remember that? And, and, And so if we're not careful, we can lose our focus on Christ no matter who we are. And the point of this is what the reformers came to know and to assert, solus Christus, that it is about Christ alone. That our focus should be on Christ alone, and that we need to be careful that we don't let anything corrupt that. It is about Christ alone. Now let me show you that from Scripture. Look with me in the second I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter two, verse five. First Timothy chapter two, verse five. The Bible says, "For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity." the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all a testimony at the proper time what it says is that there is one God and one mediator one connection between us and God and that one connection is Jesus Christ we're gonna go further into this verse in a moment but but if if we just step back and look at what it says altogether, it is saying solus Christus it is about Christ alone. The church, our message, our lives, our prayers ought to be about Christ alone. Now let me show you some things that that means practically to us. What does it mean that Jesus is our mediator, that he is uh, the, the one that we, should, that we should focus on? It means first this, salvation comes through Christ alone. Salvation comes through Christ alone now. There are all kinds of places people look today for Salvation there there are all kinds of places people turn to to feel like they have a right relationship with God We've already talked about the sacraments Uh, some people even today they turn to the sacraments and they believe that those ceremonies uh, will equal for them a right relationship with God many more people though just turn to self-effort I mean, their sacraments are not religious ceremonies. Their sacraments are just what they can do to impress God. And then people try all kinds of things. Some people try loving kindness. They just want to be nice and loving. They want to be generous with other people. They want to show kindness to people, maybe even hard to love people. And they think that if they're just nice enough that God somehow will see the love in their heart and God will give them a free pass for their sins. People look for the self-effort of loving kindness. Some people believe that they can have a right relationship with God through clean living. That, that, that They're just going to follow the rules. They're going to have such integrity, such purity, such, such absolute honesty that God will be impressed with them. Some people, it's the self-effort of environmentalism. I remember visiting a guy one day. Uh, with the purpose of sharing the gospel with him and, and said, Well, why do you think, you'll just explain to me why you think that, that God will receive you into heaven when your life is over? And he said, Let me show you my backyard. I wasn't sure what we were going to see, but we went back behind his house and what would have was just a big red clay bank back there He had beautified and it looked like the Garden of Eden and he he named all of the plants I didn't know what any of that was and he explained all the ground cover and it was Beautiful and then he talked about his environmental focus and how he had restored this this part of the planet now Listen, all those things are good I mean, it's good to love the planet and take care of the planet and if you want to do yard work come to my house House, you can do it all day long. But people try those kinds of things to somehow impress the Lord. Some people, their self-effort is religious service. They're just going to do enough religious things to impress the Lord. But, but so some people turn to the ceremony. Some people turn to their self-effort. Some people turn to meditation or all kinds of uh, Eastern religious practices. But listen, here's what the Bible says in the verses we've just read. There's an exclusivity with Jesus. The Bible says that there's only one way a person can have a right relationship with God. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus Christ. There is no way you can have a relationship with God apart from Jesus. Now, I know that's the most controversial thing we could say. In this world that we live in, there's nothing that is more controversial, there's nothing that's, that's fighting words more than that, that, that there is only one single way that you can come to God, and that's through Jesus. Now, I read this week, you know, a lot of people that are saying something different. I read about Vatican II's anonymous Christians. I, I read about Rob Bell's hopeful universalism. I read about Brian McLaren's generous orthodoxy. And all kinds of people come up with all kinds of schemes, but what the Bible says... Is that it's only through Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, for, uh, for, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Now, there might be other strategies that you could employ if we didn't need a savior. Now, here's what I want you to understand, and I'm gonna move on. But we're guilty of sin, and, 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 and I, as we learned last week, we're dead in our sin. I, I am so guilty of sin that I deserve death. I'm separated from God. I don't need some encouragement. I don't need enlightenment. I don't need some improvement. I need a savior. As I read somebody this week, uh, if, if all we needed was, an en, was a teacher of enlightenment, then maybe the Buddha would do. If all we needed were vague feelings of hope, then maybe Hinduism would do. If, if all we needed uh, was a lawgiver, then maybe Moses would do. If, if we needed a set of rules and a way of devotion, maybe Mohammed or Joseph Smith would do. If we needed inspiration or insight into the sovereign self, then Oprah Winfrey would probably do. But if we need a savior, only Jesus will do. And that's what we need. Look at, this, uh, look at these verses one more time. And I, 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 I'm, I'm pressed for time this morning, but I, I really want these to sink in. Verse five, for there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. What does it mean that He's our mediator? Well, He is the connector between us and God, between between us and, and our sinfulness, and God in His holiness. We need a connector. If I were to talk to somebody, or I remember, uh, I, w- I was preaching in Kenya. Uh, years ago. And uh, and, and of course, I didn't know the language, Swahili, right? So they're they're speaking Swahili. So when I would preach or when I would go and visit with people, I had to have an interpreter. Now, what what qualified a person to be my interpreter? Well, I I know English, sort of, and and they knew Swahili or their, their dialect of Swahili, sort of. I didn't just need somebody that knew English. I I had that covered. I I didn't just need somebody that knew Swahili. They had that covered. I needed someone who knew both English and Swahili. You know, he was qualified to be the go-between. What Jesus here is God, so he has the ear of God, and Jesus is man. So Jesus can can speak to us and we can speak to him. He understands what we go through. He's been tempted in every way like we've been tempted. So Jesus is qualified to be the mediator. He's like the interpreter. He knows both sides. He's qualified to be the mediator in that that sense. He's also qualified in this sense. It says in verse six that we just read that he gave himself as a ransom for all. That means he paid for our sins. If I drove by a car lot here and I saw a car that I wanted and I couldn't afford it, and there's just no way I could afford it, and I needed somebody to be a mediator for me, now what would qualify them? It would have to be somebody who could go and buy the car on my behalf. I mean, if somebody, and if you're volunteering for this, it'll be a beautiful sermon illustration. But uh, if somebody could just go and, and buy the car on my behalf, so I show up to the car dealer, and so here I am, here's the car dealer, and, and, and then somebody comes between us and says, you know, I've got the money, I'm going to pay the car dealer, and I'm going to give the car to you. Now, see, that's what Jesus did. J- Jesus goes to God and says, look, look, here's Noel, he's guilty of sin, he He can't pay for his sin, but I've paid, and I will pay I will pay the penalty for the sin, and I will give the eternal life to Noel. He is our mediator. And, and who did he do this for? Now, now notice this in verse six, because we would, we would be skipping something important if we didn't notice it. It says, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You know, it makes the world mad when you say Jesus is the only way. And they accuse us of being exclusive. You can't be so exclusive. You can't be so exclusive. But listen, we are exclusive. Jesus is the only one. We don't ever need to compromise. They call us what they want to call us, we can't compromise that. But this is the most inclusive exclusivity ever. <laughs> I mean, it's exclusive in the sense that it is only by Jesus, but it is inclusive in the sense that all men can be saved. He says here, for all, for all. He died for all. What an incredible thing. What does it mean, solus Christus? What does it mean, Christ alone? It means that salvation comes through Christ alone. Now, number two, very quickly, the church's proclamation must be Christ alone. If we're, if we're going to, if we're going to be a church of solus Christus, Christ alone, then our proclamation, the things we say must be Christ alone. Now, let me tell you about an error I made in my ministry. And, and and this isn't a a joke. I'm, I'm serious. A, A terrible error I made. If I could go back and redo anything in my ministry, any one thing, this is what it is for years in my ministry as a youth pastor and then even as a pastor pastor senior pastor in churches uh, i i preached christ and when i preached christ i preached the truth but christ was just one topic of many that i preached does that make sense i will not preach about christ and i preached about it often but not even the majority of the time. Most of the time I preached about things from the Bible. I mean, I've always been a Bible teacher, preacher from the very beginning, but, but I would preach things, but the things I would say were never connected with Christ. I could have said them in a secular setting and it would have offended nobody. I could have preached them at a, in a Jewish mosque. I mean, a Jewish uh, temple of worship and it would have offended nobody. You probably could have said them in a mosque. It was more about self-help from the Bible than it was about Jesus. And, and, and Jesus, i preached jesus but he was just one of many topics that i preached I, I, I had heard the old adage from charles spurgeon and adrian rogers and all of the greats of old um, that you ought to when you're teaching you ought to teach a passage of scripture teach what it means and then make a beeline to jesus and i i knew that i'd heard that adage but i didn't do it i just i preached christ sometimes i preached Wisdom sometimes, advice from Bible sometimes. But you know the Lord matured me uh through the years. He opened my eyes and he taught me. Taught me from passages like John 5.39, where Jesus said to the teachers of his day, the religious teachers of his day, that here's what he told him. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them? He said, You you study the scripture because you think that they're valuable. But I tell you, they testify about me Jesus told those teachers you don't understand the scripture the main focus of the scripture is a, is about me it's about Jesus the scriptures are about Jesus and the Lord through that verse and others he reaffirmed in my life the belief in the sufficiency of Christ that ultimately you don't you don't need practical advice I mean, we're, we'll find practical advice in scripture and we'll teach it when we get there. But, but, but what you need most and what I need most is Jesus. When the apostle Paul went to the church at Corinth, a troubled church, a lot of trouble, sexual trouble, marriage issues, financial issues. You, what, what do you think the apostle Paul preached and there were so many problems. Listen to what he said he preached, 1 Corinthians 2, one through two. He says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliant speech or wisdom. He said, I didn't come with a bunch of clever talks. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said, when I showed up, what you needed to hear most was Jesus. Was Jesus now? Paul. You read his letters. He talked about all kind of things. He talked about anger, time management. He talks about um, how to spend your money, how to be a parent. He even talks about how often married people ought to have sexual relationships. I, I mean, I mean, he gets into some pretty practical stuff. But but you know, with with, with every theme. The Apostle Paul always goes back to Jesus. In fact, if you take the, the letters of Paul, those of you who are students of the Bible, the choir, you're, you're, you're good students of this. If you look at any letter that Paul wrote about all of these practical issues, and you just step back, what's the letter mostly about? What's the letter of Ephesians mostly about? What is the letter uh, to the Galatians mostly about? Romans mostly? They're, they're about Jesus, about Jesus, about Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, and I don't have time to, to go through that, but Jesus said that the, 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 the stories of Moses are really stories about Jesus. Ultimately, we will not be changed by practical advice, by emotional or inspirational speeches or insightful knowledge. We will be changed by Jesus, or we will not be changed. When we say it is by Christ alone, we understand that we're saved by Christ alone, but the proclamation of our church should be Christ alone. Now, very quickly, let me show you the third thing. We approach the Father through prayer in Christ alone. 500 years ago, very few people were praying to God through Jesus. They were praying through the saints uh, they, uh Jesus was uh, not even really a part. He was not really a focus of, uh, of their prayers. Um, but you know, we're not likely to pray to saints. I don't know that that's a temptation that you and I face. So. But I think we do the same thing. You see, when, when Martin Luther got in trouble, when he faced a crisis, what did he do? He prayed to St. Anne. Jesus didn't come to his mind st. Anne came to his mind when we face a crisis we don't pray to Saint Anne, but neither do we go to Jesus what do we do when we face a crisis we go go the internet we do what we do we, we, we call a doctor we go to see a counselor we, we, we go see a payday loan specialist we, we we pull out a credit card we we, 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 we take illicit drugs we you see today when people even in people in church when they face a crisis i mean just like people of 500 years ago it is it is not our first reaction i must go to jesus i mean they they went to the saints we go to a secular version of the saints neither one of us are going first to jesus I mean, if we're going to say solus Christus, if we're going to say that this, uh, this reformation principle that it is Christ alone, that means that when we have a crisis, we go first to Jesus. Now, doctors are great. Counselors, I recommend. All of these things can, can be tools in the hand of the Lord. But first, go to Jesus. It is, it is Christ alone that should, should be the focus in our lives. Do you know the story of Job? Job was a a historical person, a real person, lived in many years ago, and his life story is recounted in in the Old Testament, in the book of Job. Now, just a brief overview, Job had a tough life. Uh, Things were going well, but then a a storm came and he lost all of his possessions. Uh, He was a wealthy man and he instantly became a a poor man. Uh, He lost his family. Uh, he lost his children, his grandchildren, all tragically killed. Uh, then he lost his health. he was sick uh, he had terrible terrible disease he thought, thought surely he would die he, It was so bad he wanted to die. it was painful he, he couldn 't go to the drugstore you know there wasn 't any uh, Tylenol It was terrible and so the book of Job is about his struggle with that, and he had some friends to help him. They didn't help him much, but uh, the book of Job just tells about his struggle and his friends and, and, and how, uh, how it all comes out in the end. I won't ruin the story if you don't know it. But about a fourth of the way through the book, I mean, Job is frustrated. How frustrated would you be? And some of you, maybe you've been there. You've lost all your possessions. You lost your job. You lost family members, and you're sick, and the doctors don't know, and there's little hope. That's where Job was. So I'd never noticed this before, but in Job chapter nine, he says something to God. I mean, he's trying to figure this out with God. He was a spiritual man, and uh, he, he didn't understand. And so listen to what he says, just listen to this. If only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. Job said, if, if only, Father in heaven, if only there were somebody that could bring us together. Well, I've got good news for Job, right? There is a mediator. First Timothy two, verse five. There is one God and one mediator between God and man and that is Jesus Christ. What does it mean? Christ alone, solus Christus, it means that when we have a crisis, we ought to understand that there is a mediator who will connect us with the Father. And we ought to approach him boldly. There doesn't need to be any reticence. There, there doesn't need to be any pause. No hesitation. No reluctancy. We, we just we need to know. Hey, there's a there's a mediator. I mean, there have been people that I've I've, I've been intimidated by. You, you, know, you know, there are times when you you don't want to go talk to somebody, but 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 you you know, if there was somebody who could go with you, who who knew you and and loved you and cared for you and and knew that person and loved that person and and, and they could somehow be your mediator and and bring it together. That's what Job was looking for. He said, "Is there's just some." that can help between me and God? Is there just somebody who could close the gap? Well, there is. Hebrews 4.14 says, says, we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. You know, since, since we have Jesus, this mediator, let us stand firm. And then he goes on to say, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Let us come boldly before god because we have a mediator in jesus christ now here's what i want to ask you to do close your eyes bow your head for a moment nobody i know we're at the end of the message everybody wants to put their pencil up just hang just don't do anything just listen what kind of problem are you facing in life right now and if you don't have a problem you borrow one from your neighbor but i'm sure you have one what kind of problem, what kind of crisis, big or small, are you facing? Now, where have you turned? Where have you turned? Have you, have you turned to the world first? Now, God will use the world, but have you, have you turned to the world first? Or have you embraced solus Christus, Christ alone, that he is our one and only mediator? Now, let me tell you, just nobody looking around, let me tell you, Jesus is qualified because he is man and he's been through it and he loves you and he is God and sits at the right hand of God. The Bible says that he lives to make intercession for us. It is his life to take you to the Father. Now let me tell you one more thing. When he takes your needs to the Father, the father was reminded that he's also paid for all your sins. It, it, it's not, oh, here comes Noel again. I know what he's done. No, here comes Noel, the man whose sins are paid for by Jesus. Jesus is anxious to be your mediator. He's desirous to be your mediator. We're going to stand and sing in just a quiet moment. in And I, here's what I want to ask you to do solus Christus. Let's let it be about Christ alone. Take your need to the Father through Christ alone as we stand and sing. If you'd like to come and kneel and pray, I invite you to do that. If somebody can pray with you, come and let us do that. But let's go to the Lord, Christ alone as we sing together.